Hello, listeners, and welcome to another edition of Small Talk Podcast. My name is Eva Gomez. I'm very excited today because our topic is the Textured Hair Care Initiative at Boston Children's Hospital. And we have three very wonderful guests going to tell us all about the hair care initiative at Boston Children's Hospital, a little bit about themselves and the history. So I will let them introduce themselves so they can tell us a little bit about who they are, where they work, and then we'll keep on going with the questions. I also have my colleagues, Denise Downey, Teresa Shannon, and Kate Donovan. Everybody, welcome. Yeah. Pascal, why don't we start with you? Uh, so my name is Pascal Audin. I am a staff nurse three and the infection prevention nurse for the medical ICU on 11 Birthview, formerly South. Uh, I've worked at Children's for the past 11 and a half years, starting as a new grad in the MICU. And I'm the co-lead of the project with Lynn Hancock. Fantastic, Pascal. Thank you so much. Charlotte Gilroy, please tell us about yourself. Hi, my name is Charlotte. I have been with Children's for just about two years now. I work on the behavioral response team. I adore the work that I do. I absolutely love it. And I am the person who initiated the project when I worked on Beta 5. And we also have Brianna Cheatham. Please tell us about yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm a staff nurse level one um, on 6 Northeast, which is hematology oncology. And I'm super excited to be here. I'm a new graduate. I'm in the August cohort um, of the TNP class. So I'm super new um, to the nursing group, but I used to work on 6 North as a clinical assistant. So it's been amazing, like starting in the new grad role and then being a part of this hair care initiative and learning so much more about BCH. So thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Again, thank you all for coming today. We're very excited. So we'd like to start with the question, what is the Hair Care Initiative? So in a nutshell, uh, sort of what we like to say about the Hair Care Initiative is that it is high touch instead of high tech. And we are looking at the patient as a whole. Charlotte will explain how the story came to be, but we've noticed a deficit in hair care for patients that have textured hair. And it was a need that we thought the hospital could and should meet. And then because of Charlotte sharing her story and the right people hearing about it, uh, the hospital bought into it and it has been so well received thus far. But we have brought in shampoos, conditioners, curl creams, wide tooth combs, brushes, bonnets, all of these different products that are commonly used by patients that have textured hair when they're outside of the hospital. So just making sure that we're taking care of the whole patient while they're under our care and providing them with everything that they need. The project started just based on a need that I was seeing in our clients on Vader 5. In particular, it started with one patient who was on our unit for severe depression. And it, it was just really sad. She, she was going through a grieving situation where a very close family member was in the process of passing away. And she couldn't be there. She was in the hospital. It was, she was just dealing with a lot. And on top of that, she had a kidney transplant. So her not showering, not taking care of herself, was really concerning for us for a lot of reasons, but also for infection control because she did have a compromised immune system. So I just, I built a rapport with her and I kept asking, why do you think it is that you feel it's really difficult to shower? And at first she was like, you know, this is, but as we developed the relationship and I was able to kind of get deeper in there, she said, there's no products here that I can use. As somebody who's not a person of color, who does not have to think about those things. It really hit me hard. I had never thought, wow, the products that are just offered here are not appropriate for these kiddos. And how many times have we seen this barrier and they didn't feel comfortable saying it? So I kind of like tested waters and I, I brought it up with my manager and she was like, oh yeah, absolutely. We, we get products sometimes, but we don't have any right now. So I just didn't want to wait because a lot of people had said, you know, it's a really good idea, but the hospital should be doing that anyway. And while that's true, waiting for the hospital to catch up would only leave these kids without for longer. So I reached out to my community, shout out Cumberland, Rhode Island, and I was really shocked 
at the amount of products that were sent to me. They essentially bullied me into making an Amazon wish list, which I hadn't done before. And I was just getting package after package in my house, thousands of dollars worth. And it was really incredible. And I was able to bring these to the unit and Nieto Alpigler, I adore her. She helped me uh, categorize them and distribute them. And this kid I was like working with started to shower. And after she started to shower, she started to wear her hoodie with the hood down and be a little happy with her hair. And after she felt comfortable with her ability to talk to her, she started leaving her room. And then she started going to groups and she started taking her meds more consistently. And then she was able to discharge. It really showed me personally how much of a link there is between mental health care and medical care. I don't see them as different. I, I do see them as um, different specialties that they fall under all of the same umbrella for me. And ever since that point, the the kiddos on the unit just benefited. Not even the kids of color. We you know we had kids coming in curly, like that hair, and we were able to use the products for them too. It was really such a beautiful way to teach the kids also how they can use self-care when they're not feeling good at helping themselves. Because for a lot of these kids, nobody has shown them that before. But also the main point is there's a lot of barriers for people of color with access to mental health care. And what I saw was that if we are able to show these kids, listen, whatever you have going on, your needs, we're ready for that. We've already thought about that. What you need, we already have, was a much bigger way to show them that mental health care is for you too. It was more effective as a show now to tell kind of thing. When I left Bader and I started on the behavioral response team, Erin Quinlan, she put me in touch with Tyone Henson regarding the project. And then it just, it went off of a rocket. Tyone was a massive advocate. I, I really credit the project going on a wide scale to her. I was in meeting with her. She heard me out and I just saw this spark in her eye and I was like, oh, okay, she's serious. She came back and she had brought the project to the distribution program and it just blew with her. When she left, she passed the baton to Lynn Hancap and Pascal Audain. And um, it's just, it's been so wonderful seeing this project grow because I'm a million counselor of one. I'm not somebody who is very high up in the totem pole at all. And to have people listen to what I've been doing and take that seriously, to me, shows how much the hospital cares about the kids. That it's just been a really, really beautiful process. Charlotte, that's amazing. Can I ask you a question just for clarification for our listeners? I know we're talking about hair products. Can you describe a little bit what types of products you're talking about and how they are different than the products that we just have regularly in stock here at Children's? The products that we regularly stock, which are the same products that are at other hospitals that I've worked at, so this is an industry-wide thing, are like the basic Johnson & Johnson shampoo, no conditioner. I mean, that's the only hair product is the Johnson & Johnson shampoo. You know, for skincare, there's very drying things. It's really interesting, actually, because when we have kiddos of color with type 1 diabetes who would be on our unit, I would notice that they would dry out a lot more easily and get uncomfortable a lot more easily. And then being able to bring products in improve their health tremendously. But the products that we have now are we have a moisturizing shampoo and we have a very moisturizing conditioner as well as a leave-in conditioner. And then we have a curl cream, um, helps bring out the curls, but also helps keeping them from knotting together and just keeps them more comfortable. Um, then we also have silk bonnets so that the kiddos don't have to worry about their hair breaking or getting knotted and tangled in their sleep. And then we have bore bristle brushes and we have wide tooth combs. So Pascal and Brianna. What has been your experience um, before and after the initiative got started as a nurse? Why is this so important? This is something that Charlotte said that I really agree with is that like medical care and mental health care are synonymous. 
And I think like showing people that we have the products rather than us waiting for them to ask for them is really important from a hospital standpoint. Once I got the products onto the unit and I shared it with all the nurses, literally everyone was like, oh, wow, like we needed this. Like we didn't realize we needed it. But like looking back, like this would have been so beneficial. Um, And hearing from like our child life specialist, Annika, she had had like a small stash, but she just didn't have it on the large scale of the entire hospital. And you don't realize hair care is like literally basic care. Um, Like people's hair is so in tune with their virtual and their soul experience. Like you don't want to come out if you don't have, if you're having a bad hair day. And even though people are sick in the hospital, you still want to feel your best in a way. And if that's something as simple as having a good hair day, that's an accomplishment. Um, and as Charlotte said before, we all we had was the Johnson & Johnson shampoo and we had the small combs. But even for myself, like with curly hair, it just won't be able to get through my hair. It just honestly makes it not more. And so I remember when we first got the products on, the nurses would come back to me and they'd be like, oh, I just gave it to this patient. Like, they're so excited. Like, this family we were so excited. Um, and I actually was able to give a patient a bonnet the other day because she came in and she just didn't have like all of the hair care products that she needed because she her friend had dropped her off from home. And so I offered it to her and her face just lit up and she was so excited. And her friend happened to be sitting there and they were so surprised that children's were even focused on that. And I think that that's just sad that people are so surprised that we're having it because it really should be a nationwide and worldwide thing where everyone is seen for their whole holistic self. So I think we're definitely trying to catch up and be proactive and make sure that everyone is treated for their whole self. But I think this is a great start. And I think seeing the excitement and seeing kiddos' mental health get a lot better and improve from being able to take care of their entire self is really, really important from a nursing standpoint as well. I agree. I had boxes and boxes and boxes of this stuff in my office and there's none of it left. Um, Everybody has been so excited to use it. And, you know, in the MICU, having been here for so long, I can always recognize, you know, when we have patients that, you know, once a kid is feeling better, we like to give what we call spa days and, you know, make sure that, you know, everything is like fresh and new and wonderful. And, you know, they were the kids that could have their hair washed and like brushed out and put in cute little braids because their hair was able to deal with, you know, our picture day combs and our Johnson's baby shampoo. And then we had our patients who the nurses were apprehensive to use it because they knew that if they tried to wash their hair, they might mess it up. So, you know, we had patients that weren't necessarily having their hair done unless their parents came in and did it for them. Similar to like Brianna, we had our child life specialist would have, you know, a couple of hair care products in the back of the room, like a big jug of it. And you would put it in a medicine cup and bring it to the bedside and try your best with what we had. And when we were able to bring these products in, the nurses were so excited. And, you know, the first thing they said, I can't wait to give somebody a spa day. The Johnson's baby shampoo is it's for babies and we take care of kids and adults also in this hospital. We're taking care of a patient and the mom was really struggling with uh, the admission and she was having a lot of um, anxiety and trust issues with the medical team. And I had gone in to talk to her, just, you know, see if there was anything that we could do because her four year old was just bouncing off the walls because he was contained to a, an ICU room. But um he was on the mend. She just said, you know, if we were home, like I would just, I'd give him a shower and then he would take a nap. And I said, would you want to shower? Like we can totally make that happen. And then she's like, I'm not gonna be able to do his hair though. So it kind of doesn't matter. And I was like, you can wash his hair. I can give you everything you need to wash your hair. She's like, do you even have a comb? And she sort of said it sarcastically, thinking that we weren't going to have anything. And I was just like, just you wait. And I came back with the shampoo and the conditioner and the comb and the bonnet and the brush. And mom said, this is really going to help my anxiety. Like I can focus on his hair and that's going to help me. And just knowing that it was beneficial to the patient because he was able to get his hair done um, because he had been in the hospital for a couple of days and it was an unexpected admission. So they didn't have a lot of the normal things they would bring from home. But just also knowing the impact that it had on that mom and helped to mend the relationship 
with the medical team and allow her to find a little bit of peace uh, in a situation where she didn't have a lot of control over what was happening around her. And that one conversation, just going in and asking her, you know, what, what can I do for you? And then having the ability to meet that need, because prior to this project, we wouldn't have been able to do that. And, you know, it just would have been another reason for her to feel anxious and isolated and not seen as part of the care that we were giving to her son. And that one interaction would have been worth all of the meetings and the products and all the the work that went into it. And just knowing that Charlotte had that one patient that made that, we made that impact in. And I had the one patient that having that interaction with that mom. And that's what this is all about is connecting with our patients and their families and allowing them to understand that we see you. And we want to help you in every single way that we can, not just making sure that you have all the medical things that you need. We, we want to give you everything that you need. This is a true testament of how something that may seem so simple changes everything. Even the dynamic of the relationship is so impactful. I just, I just love that story. Thank you for sharing that. Just looking from the outside in, I've seen these kids just be really used to not getting things for themselves, whether it's access to care care, whether it's access to cultural resources. I'm not sure that anyone has has sat down with these kids and asked, do you have everything you need here? But I think it's just making an assumption that they don't need anything different than we do, that that's not the case. What's your supply chain? How do you manage that? How do you make sure that we have enough product? So this part is really cool in the way that the hospital was more than willing to fund this initiative um, in its pilot phase. Um, And we were able to partner with Archie Taylor and John Pilcher from Supply Chain to seek out diverse suppliers and finding companies that were able to meet the need that we were asking them for. And there was never a limit on the things that we could ask for. It was very much a, tell me exactly what you need, you know, shoot for the moon. If you miss, you land amongst the stars sort of thing. And you ask for everything and they were able to deliver on that. And the amount of things that showed up Um, that John was able to produce for us. And we were able to even test products and say, you know, we don't like the way that this one smells and we think that this one is better. And we were able to get, you know, smaller sizes so that we could bring them individually into the patient's room and they were able to have their own products. And, you know, the hospital is able to give us the resources to do this. And, you know, to Charlotte's point, why weren't we doing it before? If, you know, we have the willingness to throw essentially money at the project, which is what what it needed, uh, we have to be able to bring these things in and we had buy-in from the top down. And, you know, when supply chain is equally as enthusiastic about the project as the nurses and as the units and as the hospital leadership, you sort of are, your eyes are open to all of the things that this hospital can accomplish. We're building PeopleSoft numbers for products so that we can have the units order them and they're going to be available in the stat room so that we don't necessarily have to take up a ton of space in clean supply, but they can call downstairs and say, I need a brush or a detangler uh, so we can get those needs met for the patients. It also sort of brought to light that there isn't a standard or a guideline or a policy or whatever you want to call it on how to care for hair for anybody in this hospital. Because one of the questions that was asked was, what is the standard for hair care here? You know, we all sort of just looked at each other and uh, sort of whatever the nurse is able to provide or whatever the family is able to accomplish when their kids are here having, you know, limited ability to shower and sometimes with mobility issues and things like that. It sort of makes you think a little bit if we weren't meeting the hair care needs, what else, what other needs aren't we meeting? Like what other things are we unconsciously ignorant to? And are there still patients that are experiencing a lack of provision of a part of their care that is going to benefit their hospital experience? 
our whole goal is to make sure that we're taking care of our patients and their families. And that's something that we all want to scream from the rooftops. And, you know, when you find out something that we weren't doing, you know, it sort of makes you want to like recoil in yourself and just say like, oh my God, I can't believe this went on for so long. But just knowing that once Hyon heard Charlotte's story and she was just like, this is something that we have to take care of. And she reached out to other hospitals and she brought in all of the key players and they heard her and they were enthusiastic about it. It's a little beacon of light that has allowed us to say we can do more and have way more opportunities to find something else to make a little bit better. And Pascal, you mentioned that the products are available through the stat room. If I were a nurse taking care of a patient and I wanted to get a certain product, would I contact the stat room or is there another way that I would get the products? So for the hospital-wide launch on May 24, tell your friends, we'll have PeopleSoft numbers available and then we'll have product descriptions because there are no other shampoos or conditioners or things like that outside of Johnson's Baby Soap. If you just say, I need a wide tooth comb, there's only going to be one wide tooth comb downstairs. In the same way where you can, you know, ask for formula by name, then you could ask for the shampoo by name. The product that we currently are using is the Mixed Chicks um, shampoo, conditioner, and leave-in conditioner. Um, so we people will be able to ask that, and we're going to be able to have uh, resources eventually on uh, the Nursing Patient Care Operations tab on Web2, the intranet, that will give people access to the My Hair Care questionnaire, which is meant for patients and their caregivers to fill out so that they can, you know, identify their hair type. It's not my job to say that somebody has straight or curly or coily hair. Let them say what kind of hair care, like hair they have, what how they interact with their hair, what they like to do with their hair, what is their schedule, what helps them when they're doing their hair. Um, so that that can be posted in the room. And, you know, the other great thing about the products is that it doesn't have to be used by patients that have textured hair. Anybody can use the products. Uh, they just might not use all of the products. We also have a textured hair info sheet for nursing staff. Uh, so if somebody feels uncomfortable talking about it, like, how do I, how do I breach the topic? And the easiest thing to do is say, do you have everything you need to care for your hair? Because anybody can answer that question. And then if they say no, and you can now educate them about all of the things that we have available to them and they can check off all of the different items that they'd like to have brought to them, which is really nice. And then we also have other resources available that show pictures of how to detangle hair because you don't start at the top, you would start at the bottom and you need to section the hair. And when you're going to dry it, you're better off using a pillowcase to do it instead of a terry cloth towel because it'll snag on the hair. And these are all things that if you don't know, it's available for you to learn about so that, you know, with the next patient, you're able to do it. And on the sheet, it also explains, you know, maybe things to avoid. So don't say to a patient, oh, I wish my hair could do that because one hair type is um, not superior to another. You can ask them about their hair and ask them what they like about their hair. But, you know, you don't have to necessarily point out that, oh, I wish my hair would curl because they have straight hair. When I was a kid, I would always just be like, I wish my hair wasn't curly. Like, I wish I didn't have to go through the whole process of having my mom detangle my hair. And then if it was curly, then that was a whole process. And if it was going to be blown out, then that was, you know, two hours of my day. So everybody, you don't want to make those comparisons because someone's always going to want something that they don't have. So if we don't highlight that for patients, then um, it's a little bit more beneficial to just focus on, uh, you know, what's in front of you and what their experience is, as opposed to like the nurse saying, I wish that. I think to add to, to Pascal's point is that, Something that I really enjoyed about working on the Textured Hair Care Initiative and how we all kind of used our thoughts together is that we wanted, yes, us to bring the products to the patient, but we wanted it to be patient-led. So like having the education sheet for the nurses is more so a starting point for them to start the conversation, not for us to lead the conversation. So anytime I go into the room, I'm like, oh, like, oh, you're, you want to take a shower? Like, I have these products to provide. Like, would you be interested in that? 
And I'm never going into a patient's room like, oh, you have to wear a bonnet because you have curly hair because that's what the education sheet said. Like I have curly hair and I don't always wear a bonnet, whereas other people do and they always wear one. So I think similar to how any person that doesn't have textured hair, their hair care journey is very individualized. I think we tried to frame all of our education sheets and the teaching in a way that the nurses can initiate the conversation, but let the patient take the rein and be like, this is how I want to do my hair. Yeah, that's kind of the beauty of it's their hair. So they they do know how to take care of it. We're not going to be the first persons, first people to teach them about hair care. They have had that head of hair for their entire lives. And they're, for the most part, able to navigate it and tell you exactly how they would like to do that. Because the way that I am going to do my hair is very different from the way that Brianna would and different from the way my sister would. And, you know, everybody has their tips and tricks that make their hair look and feel the best. So I think that's such an important thing to think about because, you know, when you back in the day, when you learned a lot about uh, the, the culture of persons from around the world, you were given something of like a prescription that these peoples from these countries do this, people from this race do that. And and it was something transmitted to us as, as like something that is predetermined, assumed to be true for everybody. And in the way it was taught, I don't know if that sounds right, but growth and change came about, especially in talking and educating about uh, cross-cultural care, is that you don't label or assume a person you let that person tell you who they are in their identity, um, in their culture, in their race, in, in everything that is about them, that they guide you um, on how to best help them have the best opportunity for health. Does that does that resonate? Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because sort of in that effort to have nursing students and eventual nurses become culturally competent, they sort of fed us a lot of stereotypes. You know, it's easy to get those locked into your brain to say, you know, this is what this group of people would enjoy. So this is what I'm going to cater to them where that might not necessarily be the case for that individual person. So if someone has a certain hair type or a certain religious belief, it's not our job to say, you're Catholic, here's your Bible. Like that's that's not the point where that's why we're not going to say you have curly hair please use this bonnet it's you have curly hair do you have everything that you need in the same way where we would ask a patient you know would you like a chaplain to come see you we don't force the chaplain on them we ask them exactly pascal i think that was a, a great way to um frame your approach not only towards hair care but so many other aspects of how we present things to our patients and Brianna, I, I love your explanation about the education sheets. Um, I think it's really important that nurses are armed with a way to go in and approach their patient and understand, you know, not just to go in with the assumption that they're going to want X, Y, and Z, but, you know, really be authentically listening to them and finding the right words to do that so that the person does feel heard. What about the, that staff that has a genuine lack of awareness or insight regarding just hair in general, who might, the folks that just don't understand, they don't understand the time it takes to, to actually care for textured hair, the time it takes to care for braids, the time it takes to make sure that the, your scalp is healthy. How do we shift that? So that was me. When I, when I came into this project, I, I recognized that these kids have a need, but I didn't really know everything about it. I ask questions. I just ask the kids themselves. And I've never been in a situation where I was sitting down with a kiddo and genuinely asking them questions. And they told me that they felt uncomfortable talking about cultural or race difference. That's never come up. I, I think that's something that can be a barrier for non-POC caregivers. But I think that as long as we're just trying to learn and do the best for the kids, they see that and appreciate that. I think just taking the time to ask questions and um, I think anybody who has questions can also ask us. I'm probably not the right person, but I'll do what I can. <laughs> but just engaging with the patients themselves, you know, and saying, hey, like, what's your day-to-day? -day? Like, what are your needs like? I wanted to mention that both your comment and, and the previous one speaks to something that people call cultural humility. 
you don't expect to know everything or assume you know everything about anybody, but that you take a, a stance of of being humble and saying, like you just said, Charlotte, I don't know and I want to know and I want to understand you, but from a place of genuine curiosity and, and goodwill towards that person, not because that you want to create more labels or more stereotypes, really that that cultural humility of I want to get to know you better. What kinds what kinds of things can I do to help you? And and at even admitting that you're afraid to ask is so important. It's like, I know this might be an uncomfortable question, but I want to really understand how does this what is this need or how does this work? Because that is truly a core principle for 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 every interaction that we have with our patients is really having that sense of humility about them that they can teach me a lot about them and how I can help them. Yeah, I was able to overhear there was a nurse taking care of a patient that was right outside my office and the door was open and she's not she was not a nurse of color and she brought these products to one of the families and she had said I have all these things for you because the mom had you know said that she wanted to do her daughter's hair and you know she said I don't really know how to use them can I watch you do her hair and that made me happy and then I sort of circled back with her afterwards and she was saying that mom was you know so enthusiastic about teaching her and showing her because you know when was the last time that a nurse necessarily asked show me how you do their hair that is one of the ways that parents can bond with their children and sort of sell like you know this nurse was able to celebrate that with that mom and say, I want to watch you do it. I want to, instead of just, you know, handing her the products and walking away, she she wanted to also take something away from that experience so that she would know the next time if she was doing, you know, a patient's hair by herself, that she would have a better idea of how to care for a patient with textured hair. And it's interesting the things people do when they don't think that anybody sees it. And, you know, she was, it wasn't performative. It was, her expressing a genuine interest in wanting to learn and connect with that family. That's the attitude that we need. And if somebody feels uncomfortable, then like you said, ask the family or I always tell people they can come and ask me. Like I'm happy to give them a quick, you know, lesson or explain things a little bit more in depth uh, if they want to boost their confidence in talking about it. But it's just having the desire to make themselves vulnerable, to learn and to absorb and to participate. That's all we want. I, I don't ex expect everybody to have a professional hair care, you know, level of practice. There's no hairstylist degree at Boston Children's Hospital, but we just want people to know how to access the resources and how to start a conversation with the family. Can you dive deeper into some of the products and what they're used for and the benefits of them? Sure. Uh, like Charlotte was saying, we have the moisturizing shampoo and conditioner. Uh, so a lot of the times when you are caring for textured hair, you're looking for what they call slip uh, when you're washing the hair. And so that when you're detangling it, um, there isn't a lot of snagging. And the best time to detangle textured hair is when it's wet. So that is why you want to make sure that you've used a moisturizing shampoo, a moisturizing conditioner when you've rinsed that out and then use the leave-in conditioner because textured hair, curly hair can be much more porous and can dry out a lot more easily. Uh, so making sure that it has that little bit of extra moisture with the leave-in conditioner is really helpful. And it also helps make the detangling process a lot easier. And then we also have the wide tooth comb because you need to have, you know, that extra space between the, the teeth of the comb to make sure that you're not pulling the hair, uh, making sure that you're starting from the bottom and working your way up and knowing that you can add a little bit more water because that's going to be your best friend when you're styling the hair. And with the curl cream that helps to style and define. Uh, so if it was a patient that wanted to not have their hair in a protective style. So if they were to have braids or hand do knots or what have you, then they could style their hair in a wash and go is sort of what it's referred to. And then we also have 
the bonnet available. So as Brianna was saying, it can provide a barrier between their hair and a pillowcase or certain types of fabric that can snag the hair, cause it to break, cause it to not. Silk helps it to sort of, again, just like slide across the hair. So we can, you know, take care of the hair in the different stages between the cleansing, the moisturizing and the styling so that people have options when it comes to what it is they'd like to accomplish um, with their hair. You mentioned braids. Can you uh, share with our listeners the time it takes to put braids in or even extensions? <laughs> um, so I guess it depends on the braids. There are, you know, you could put their hair into two separate braids. You could put their hair into French braids. You could do individual box braids. There is a whole array of different hairstyles that you could decide to to do. And I wouldn't necessarily expect someone to do box braids. Those take hours to do. And then if someone were to get extensions or things like that, having done that before, I would literally be at the hair salon for seven hours between the washing, the drying, the braiding, the sewing, the whole thing. So it is, it is a, a very long process. And, you know, that is also why culturally there's a lot of wheat that is put into like hair salons. Like that is where people go to, like that's where communities go to, to meet. That is where, you know, you can have all these long conversations with people that have a similar life experience or understanding of what it takes because someone can get a haircut in an hour where some people it takes days depending on what it is that you are getting done it might not be able to be done in one sitting and you'd have to have to go back and I don't even think I would have the time to <laughs> discuss all the different things uh, that someone could choose to do with their hair but um, for our purposes uh, it's just being able to, if you wanted to section the hair and then put it in a protective style. So, you know, just two, three, four braids, however many the patient wanted. Or if you had to, you know, accommodate uh, a BiPAP head uh, headgear. Uh, we do that in the MICU all the time where there's a lot of Velcro and straps involved. So we would do the hair so that it wouldn't get caught underneath it. I wanted to take it back a second, either Pascal or Brianna. I remember in previous conversations you've mentioned, and you just said it, the protective hairstyle. Can you elaborate? Because I understand that braids are one of the many ways in which you can create a protective hairstyle. So talk about the protective hairstyle and what it does, if either of you can speak to that. Well, like curls, if you, I think a good way, like analogy would be like string almost. Like if you have a ball of string and you kind of just let it like play or like move around it kind of gets all tangled and matted so for curly hair it's almost similar where if the curls aren't maintained in a protective style or just left out they'll curl upon each other um and create either like bigger knots or um just become really really hard to detangle um so it's really important for patients in the hospital if their acuity for their medical concern is really high and they don't have the time to focus on their hair putting them in braids are like how pascal was saying like if someone has like a headgear piece that is gonna like possibly rip out pos some of the hair making sure that it's just sectioned and put into a few braids because when you're putting into braids it's almost like intentionally like laying out the string so that they don't tangle themselves and then if you put a bonnet on on top of that, it's helping the hair to stay moisturized so that when it's on the pillowcase, it's not drying out. Um, and that will help as well. I have to say, I have learned so much today that I can't help but think that we have so many specialists here at the hospital that wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a resident hairdresser or a hairstylist who we could tap into? And I keep thinking, Pascal, about the patients you're talking about with the CPAP, with the Velcro, with the straps, you know, perhaps with the tape or with EEG leads or something like that. We should have a professional who we could tap into to say, how can we protect this patient's hair? It doesn't matter what type of hair you have, but how can we keep it from getting damaged or from getting in the way or from preventing, say, a therapeutic seal, whether, you know, it's a mask or something like that. So I think you guys are onto something huge here. I think you need to keep going. 
that's the goal. Uh, yeah, it would be great if we had an either like an in-house in-house hairstylist or someone that we could consult, or even believe there are dermatologists that their primary uh, specialty is on the care of the scalp and hair. There are hospitals that do have that, so if we were able to acquire that resource, that would be phenomenal. I think that you know all of our patients could benefit from that. I believe there are volunteer hairstyles that come into this Hale Center for Families, but it's not in the same capacity. It's, you know, when they're able to donate their time and not necessarily consult on patients' hair, they're here just to provide a different type of service. I just think of the patient and family satisfaction, you know, just to let them know we are thinking about the whole patient, and that includes the hair. Can you can you elaborate or can any of you elaborate on and also the the skin connection, you know, as nurses, we're always concerned about skin and skin breakdown, um, but we barely um, touch on the the importance of the hair, uh, the the skin of the scalp. Can you can you speak to that a little bit as well? The essential part of the hair care is the scalp care because you know you want to make sure that there isn't product buildup or that it's really dry. So you know that's another reason why we want to wash their hair at you know, whatever interval that they prefer to do at home and make sure that they have their hair moisturized because scalp care is hair care. It'll help like inform the health of the hair. So taking care of that is, you know, imperative to making sure that the patient's hair is also healthy. I remember hearing how the tugging of the hair, it pulls on the scalp, it also damages it. So there's a total direct connection, right? Yeah. And, you know, if the patient's hair gets matted and then that also pulls, you know, independent of even detangling the hair, um, then that can cause a lot of discomfort. One leads to the other. They're all connected. You, you can't have one without the other. Pain. Pain in detangling the hair. As nurses, we need to consider that as well. Can any of you speak to that as well? Something that I see a lot on the behavioral side um, is particularly when I'm working with kids who are too young so they know how to say their needs in a way, you know, if that makes sense to us, or kiddos on the spectrum who will maybe nonverbal or use augmented communication. That piece about scalp tenderness and scalp pain has actually played a large role in some of our behavioral escalations when the kiddos aren't really able to say, you know, my scalp really, really hurts. It's, it's really fascinating to see how addressing that can improve behavioral and mental health for, for a lot of our patients, especially with the behavioral health crisis that we're having. And we now have a, a child life specialist, Lauren Delude, who joined our team because child life will ultimately play a huge role in preparing kids and helping with distraction techniques, um, helping them with different types of like coping mechanisms so that we can, you know, alleviate some of that anxiety, making sure they're in a comfortable position. Um, because to Charlotte's point, you know, the last thing we, we want to do is escalate a child or cause them any sort of stress and anxiety surrounding this. This isn't meant to be something that's being done to them. It's being done with them and for them. So taking into consideration all those different pieces and that part is addressed on the information sheet of engaging with BRT to help make a plan if necessary and engaging with child life uh, and all those different pieces to make sure that, you know, in an effort to do good and to do this service for this child, that we're also not missing these other key pieces because we would engage and utilize BRT and child life for other things that we do with patients. So this is just another thing that we can partner with them to make sure that the washing and styling of the hair can go um, as seamlessly as possible. The ability for the kids, a lot of our behavioral kids and a lot of our kids with severe trauma history, the ability for them to say what we do with their hair and the ability to invite healthy interaction and healthy touch with an old I think it's far more healing than a lot of us are really able to anticipate. And it can so strengthen that patient caregiver rapport. And it, I think it also sets a precedent for a positive experience going forward with this is what a positive experience with an adult is like. And I look for that in the future. 
uh, you know, I've experienced, you know, if my hair is straight, then someone's just like, you know, how, like, how did you get it so straight? Or if it's curly, it's just like, I didn't think your hair would like still be that soft. And, you know, these weird little comments that people feel like they might be compliments, but they're actually like a little bit of a, like a microaggression. You know, you have to be like respectful of people's boundaries and, you know, in the same way where, right, you wouldn't necessarily go up to somebody else's hair and just be like, how is your hair so blonde? Where you can't say, you know, how is it so soft or how is it so curly or what does it feel like? And if you ask somebody and they give you the permission to do so, then that's one thing. But to invade their personal space and especially, you know, with a child and especially if there's a, a child that is having, you know, mental health issues and they aren't necessarily able to assert boundaries or had boundaries violated, like you, you just you shouldn't do that. And that goes back to the you shouldn't compare hair or make comments you think you're complimenting but um in some cases you might just be shining a light on something that they know is different from somebody else and you know might be an insecurity just you know let them lead the conversation don't necessarily don't make it about you that is part of them and if you wouldn't want someone to come up to you and touch your face, then don't go and touch somebody else's hair. Growing up, it was always a topic um, where, you know, my grandmother, who was super old school, if my hair was curly, she would say like, are, are you going to do your hair? And I was like, it's, it's done. <laughs> um, I don't know what to tell you. And sort of because growing up in the time that she did where you sort of wanted to suppress those things about yourself and take up less space, be less obvious with the things that were different. And, you know, being able to now work somewhere that wants to celebrate that, that's a big deal. It took me a while to, you know, want to wear my hair curly all the time. It's not curly right now, but um, I went a year without straightening my hair and having to learn how to be comfortable with it because I always had the idea in my head that if I was like if I was dressing up then my hair had to be straight and it had to be you know look a certain way and sort of knowing that that's not the case and I can do whatever I want with my hair and letting patients know that you know they can do what they want with their hair we see their hair we're going to celebrate their hair I would never go into the hospital with my hair currently. Like I would have to, I would straighten it because I had to stay overnight after a surgery and I didn't want my hair to be an issue while I was inpatient. Like I didn't want it to like get snagged or knotted or anything like that. So, you know, I purposely straightened it so that it would be one less thing that I would have to worry about when I was in the hospital. And the fact that we're able to allow people to have the hair that they were born with and not have to worry about it or change it to make their hospital experience more tolerable. It's a big, pretty profound. Just to add something to Pascal's point, um, a lot of patients on the sixth floor, they have sickle cell. And so they have crises at times when they wouldn't expect. So they come in at, from school, from home, from a friend's house. So a lot of times they don't have what they ha need with them. And I was speaking with a mom and she actually needed to shower before she went back to work and she didn't have time to go from um, the hospital to home. And so she was able to use the products too. And I had a conversation. I wasn't even taking care of her child, but I just had a conversation with her in the hallway and she was just so excited that she was able to come to the hospital now, not have to think about oh, I need to go home. I need to get these things. I need to get my hair products for my kid and me so that I can go back to work and so that my child can take care of themselves. And so I think it just really changes everyone's mindset. Like you can come to the hospital and know that you're, you're going to be taken care of, like your hair, your body, your skin, just everything. And as Pascal was saying earlier, just really releases like a sense of anxiety from the patients and their family. So it's really amazing that we're able to see patients for they're unique and beautiful selves. I love that. The ability to be somebody in these kids' corner, they're not used to that, is the most beautiful experience. And then to just find another way to be able to do that, 
with with hair care. I mean, it must be so scary to come to the hospital for something that can't be fixed with a cast or antibiotics. It must be so terrifying. And then to also know that the people who are going to be taking care of you are not from your culture and be worrying about what things are they not going to understand, even um, the vernacular. Are they going to understand what I'm saying? So just being able to provide some relief, it's just such an intimate and beautiful experience. And you know that it's one that they're going to remember for their life and, and one that they can kind of hold as a reference point of this, this is how I should be treated. It's really sacred. What would you want every nurse who's caring for patients here at Boston Children's to know about your initiative, about hair care in general? about caring for patients. I loved how you said we're caring for the whole patient and this is just part of the patient that we need to address. What would you like to say to them? I would love to be able to say, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to learn something about another culture. It's really amazing what can happen with the right questions. To echo that, always feel empowered to speak up for your patients. Something that you notice about one patient might not necessarily be unique. And if you think that it's something that other kids might be dealing with, you know, bring bring it up, talk about it because, you know, if the right person hears it, then it could really make a difference. And as far as, you know, the products and this initiative, you know, this is here to just help expand the care that we're able to provide for our patients. And if one other tool in your belt to really take care of that whole patient. Yeah, I would add to just like adding it as another part of your assessment. Like, how is their hair? Like, do you think we, this patient needs to shower and making sure you ask them, do you have everything that you need? Um, and just using that to build a rapport with them, learn more about them, and also just partnering with the patient and their family so that you can provide like any assistance that might be possible also, if like the parent is doing the hair care, you could also still provide child life, music therapy, and other ways to just help the child create a more positive um, experience with doing their hair care. So I think even if the family's doing it, we can still use all of our resources that we have so that the patient has the best holistic experience. This has been incredible, you guys. I want to thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. We're excited about Eva asked us to be on the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by the Innovation Digital Health Accelerator, Boston Children's Hospital, with support from the emergency department and our inpatient medicine programs. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Small Talk Podcast.